and welcome to the Chris Yeh Podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh. In today's special episode, I have an interview with my mental samurai fellow finalist, Ryan Jones. This is the longest interview yet, nearly 90 minutes, and I think you'll understand why once you start to listen. We talk about Ryan's life. The fact is he is actually a second-generation game show contestant, so you definitely need to hear about the exploits of his mom and dad. We'll also hear about Ryan's other game show experiences on Wheel of Fortune and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And then we'll do a deep dive into Mental Samurai, including Ryan's initial run as well as the finale. And Ryan's the perfect person to discuss the finale with because as a fellow finalist, he experienced all the same things I did, but even more because he was in the room of the leaderboard earlier than I was. And he also got to watch the final run of Heather Hurley as well. So we'll hear a lot of great inside insights from Ryan Jones. I think you're going to love his personality. As you may recall, I dubbed him Mr. Fabulous, and I think this interview proves it. So without further ado, Ryan Jones. Hey, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. So great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I'm joined today by Ryan Jones, one of my fellow finalists on Mental Samurai <laughs> Season Finale and Grand Championship. Uh, Ryan, I called you Mr. Fabulous because you are absolutely fabulous under the lights. And I thought that you gave some of the best performances of the season. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And that is a title I will gladly put on my resume. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I call you Mr. Fabulous, just like I call Sam Durbin, handsomer Jonah Hill. <laughs> hey, we'll take it. <laughs> so I thought that where we would start is really telling people the story behind the story, because all they know about you from watching you on television is, hey, there's Ryan. He's so fabulous. He's a soul cycle instructor. <laughs> That's really cool. But there's a whole incredible story behind your journey to get to where you are today. So I'm hoping you could take me through that and especially talk about your amazing parents who I had the pleasure of meeting. They're just incredible human beings. Of course. Yeah. I think it all stems back to them. I mean, we definitely growing up, we were a very close-knit family and we played board games and my dad and I played Super Nintendo from a very young age and we were just always kind of doing stuff together. It was never really isolated time where I would do my thing and my sister would do her thing and they were off doing different things. We were all doing stuff together. So whether that was taking long car trips, we used to go to Disney World every summer and we would play games in the car and do different things like that. So it was always a connected feeling of that was something that brought us together was getting to play. And both of my parents actually, when I was little were on wheel of fortune. So we grew up watching the show and we always try to race each other to finish the puzzle and solve it before everybody else watching. So we're a very competitive family, but in that fun, like, okay, like I'm going to win, but it's my family. So we won't get too crazy. There's been no brawls as of yet, but <laughs> so I grew up in that environment and it just was definitely one of those where they encouraged us to do the things that we love and that we enjoy and just to find the fun and the joy in it. So it's always kind of been that way. And then I started performing a lot. And once I kind of got right in the stride of performing, we were living in New Orleans and we got pretty badly affected by Hurricane Katrina. So when Katrina hit, we moved around a lot. And we spent some time in Houston. We spent some time in the Northeast, in Baltimore. And 
from there, it was kind of like brought us a lot closer together, but definitely also kind of hit my thirst for performing and getting to do more and more of that. And I started studying a lot more dance and theater and music and then ended up going to college back in New Orleans and just got the performing bug and moved to New York after graduation and have kind of just been going ever since. Now, there are a whole bunch of interesting things that came up along the way. The first, <laughs> it's just a, which is why I love hearing the full story. There's just no way to get the full story in 30 seconds on television. The right. fact that you are a second generation television game <laughs> show contestant is oh, remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they were on, they just had a random contestant search that came to New Orleans and they both ended up being selected as contestants, but they didn't get selected to film in New Orleans when they were in town. So they flew them out to LA and they filmed two separate times. So the first time it was my dad's episode, they went out, my mom went as his guest and they don't pay for anything when you fly out for wheel. So you had to pay your own way. So they told us as kids like, okay, well, if dad does well, you'll get to fly out for mom's episode. So my dad did pretty well. He got to the bonus round. He won $18,000, but then he missed his bonus puzzle. So they come home. We're all excited. The next time when my mom played, they brought the two of us, my sister and I, and then my grandparents as well. And we all went to watch my mom play. She did great too. She goes all the way to the bonus round and she wins $18,250. So she likes to joke that she beat him by a vowel. Um, and she goes to the bonus round and unfortunately misses her puzzle too. So this was back, I was in like fourth grade. So this was before they did the whole thing where they show the family members before you play the bonus round. So they only showed the family if the contestant won. So my sister and I are like, we're going to get on TV. She's going to solve the bonus puzzle. And then she missed the puzzle, so we didn't get our chance to run on and hug her on TV. So we were a little bummed, but still proud of her. But it was just one of those random things that they just came through New Orleans and they auditioned. And then the ironic part is that happened um, maybe like 10, 12 years later when I was a junior in college. I was at school at Tulane in New Orleans, and I was on my way to biology. My mom is a high school science teacher who is now a, a junior high school principal, and I called her and I was like, mom, I'm skipping biology today. And she was like, wait, why are you skipping class? Like, no, no, no. Like, you need to go to class. And I said, Wheel of Fortune is on campus auditioning people for college week. Like, I am going to audition. And she was like, normally I would be against this, but I'm totally for it. Like, go, 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 go. Like, this is your shot. <laughs> it's a family tradition. Oh, yeah. She was definitely like, no, no, like, that's something that our family is proud of. Like, we are really good at Wheel of Fortune. Like, go, go, go. Just have fun. Like, be really personable and they'll love you. So I went and auditioned and then I got chosen to be on the show. So I was on College Week of Wheel of Fortune my junior year of college. Wow. How did you do? So I did pretty well. In the beginning, I was a little nervous and stiff. And it's a lot of like, okay, like the wheel's really heavy. You don't expect it to be as crazy as it is. And it was just one of those, like, I had never experienced a game show. So I didn't understand the concept of hurry up and wait. And that's a lot of like, you get there really early. They have to go over all the rules. And they practice having you spin the wheel. And they give you some camera blocking of, okay, if you get to the bonus round, and this is what's going to happen. And they just give you a little bit of, what if scenarios to just prepare yourself for. And then I played 
like later that afternoon and I missed like the first three puzzles and the girl next to me was just killing it. I was getting nervous. And then I finally get to spin the first spin that I get, I hit the jackpot wedge and I just randomly happened to know the puzzle. So I solved the puzzle and won the jackpot. So now all of a sudden I'm in first place. I've won a couple more puzzles. I want a trip. And then I go to the bonus round and letters come up. I had my letters. I was ready to call A, C, D, and P and just be ready with those letters to go. I call them and only the D and the C come up. And Pat is just like, I don't know, like you're a good player, but this one's going to be tough. The timer starts and then I solved it. And it's one of those like funny moments looking back. Um, I solve it. I'm shocked. Pat's shocked. And he turns to me and is just like, wait, how did you do that? And I thought he was going to hug me. He pushes me up against the bonus round wheel and starts to frisk me and joke that he was looking for listening devices because how on earth could I know that otherwise? So he did that. And then I ended up winning a car, which was just wild. <laughs> so what kind of car was it that you won? I'm uh, now I'm really curious. Yeah, I won a Mini Cooper and it was it has spoiled the car buying process for me forever. I sound like such a first world problem person right now, but I literally got to go to the dealership and design the car and pick the color and if I wanted automatic or manual transmission and if I wanted to deck it out with different things. So it was wild. And then the car gets delivered like a couple months later and my, my dad is driving me to pick it up and the car had zero miles on it. Like they hadn't even driven it out to go get gas. They were just like, we brought the gas to the car, filled it up. So I got to take the very first mile of the car, which was insane to me. <laughs> That's incredible. Now, does this make you the family wheel of fortune champion or did your sister go on and win $10 million or something? <laughs> she hasn't gone on yet, but if she goes, she knows she's got a very high bar to meet. but I definitely have the bragging rights of the family right now. <laughs> Excellent. Has your sister, in fact, gone on any game shows yet? Is she, or is she the black sheep of the family? She's the black sheep right now. I think she definitely would go on one. I think it's just the timing of it and figuring out when she could get on one. But she is just as good as the rest of us. I mean, our parents have trained us our whole lives. So she would. I would definitely put money on her if she's on a show that she would do well. So I think she'd be great. Wow, if I'd known all this, I would have been even more intimidated <laughs> when we were sitting there. As it was, I was pretty intimidated, but good Lord, to fact the fact that you were literally raised to go on television is <laughs> terrifying. You know, I mean, it was one of those that they just like, it was, it was fun to kind of hear their experience of things and see how things have changed since they've gone on. And the biggest thing that I've kind of learned with all of these game shows is that a lot of them, you need a little bit of skill but most of it, they want personality and they want to see real people who you want to root for and that you definitely watch on TV and you're like, yes, I really want them to win. And so for me, that's always been the biggest thing of when I'm on a show like this, it's just, okay, be you. Don't try to be something else because they can see right through that and it just looks fake on TV. So people just want to see the real you and I think that's what makes them fall in love with you. It's just when you're like, hey, this is me. This is what I would do if I was at home playing this game. I would cheer and scream and be excited just as much. So you bring that to TV, and I think it really does speak volumes to people. 
Well, I think you're really successful with that because, as I mentioned, my daughter transferred her allegiance from Sam to you <laughs> after I sadly eliminated Sam from the fa- from the finals. Yeah, I will say Sam. So I live in Chicago now, and so Sam and I have gotten to hang out a couple times since he lives here too. And so we did a viewing party for the finale, and I will say. We loved you, but there were a few boos from people who didn't know the outcome when you kicked him off. <laughs> I understand. You know, it's funny. Uh, I was actually going back and forth on Facebook with Heather about the finale, and she didn't want to record until after the finale. Didn't want to take any legal risk whatsoever. And I said, "Hey, right. I totally understand." I don't blame her. I don't blame her at all. <laughs> and I said, "You know." Just imagine how fun it would be to be at Ryan and Sam's party, but unfortunately, we would be the villains, so we'd have to be prepared for a lot of booze if we went. I think it was one of those that, like, it was one of those moments where obviously we rooted for people the whole way, but it definitely when it's somebody you know and we know you guys, but they see you in the the montages and the little bit that they show of your life, but getting to hang out with you for hours, we know so much more about each other than you can ever portray in just that hour long TV show. So it's kind of like as much as, of course I would have loved to have won. I was still excited for Heather. Like it definitely made us feel a little bit more of kindred spirits in that moment. Yeah. And it is something that the three of us shared together because we were actually together at the end of filming. Nobody else was there. All the other contestants Mm -hmm. are gone. We were the only ones who knew how it turned out. And it was was pretty emotional, but, you know, we were really happy for Heather. We were, of course, you know, wish we could have been even happier for ourselves, but we were happy for Heather. And, you know, it's funny because this whole time, I don't know if you were actually able to be there for the filming. I was already sequestered and, and waiting for you guys way back where. But all along, I've been telling people, oh, yeah, none of us ever got to actually shake hands with Rob or even make physical any come close to making physical contact. And they're like, hey, in the finale, Heather got to hug. I'm like, listen, I didn't see that, guys. Yeah, she's the only one. I didn't get to touch him. I will say I was a little jealous when that happened. I was like, I don't even get to just like say hi. But I did have a moment that didn't air after my 12 questions in the finale. I remember just being so floored. And I, I, it was a cute moment that I remember with him because I just reached out my arm and I was like, Rob, pinch me. Is this real? And he just goes, pinch. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> oh, that's great. I wish it made it to air. <laughs> I, there's so many moments. Like my first round, I got kind of stuck in a technical difficulty right between the first and the second question. So they paused me for a minute and I was still in the pod. And so the guy who was kind of the audience hype man, it was named Frank. And so he was trying to like, keep me excited because of course it's like 11 30 at night on the first night of filming it was so late the audience was tired so he was trying to keep everybody energized so rob and i had talked about my musical theater degree in my little intro conversation with him that didn't air and frank puts on rob and i had talked about oklahoma so he puts on Oklahoma, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. And I will never forget Rob Lowe and I singing a duet to that song, like just waiting for the technical difficulty to be worked itself out. But it was just so fun. It's one of those things like they could never show, but it was one of those memories I will always have. <laughs> that is fantastic. And that is exactly the kind of behind the scenes stuff that hopefully people get when they listen to these episodes and sort of appreciate all the things right. that happened off the air. 
Yeah, for sure. And it's one of those, like, that's where we learn the most about each other and the little things and just the fact that we were all kind of in it together. I think it definitely bonds you as people and producers and the technical staff and the crew. Everyone was just so phenomenal and so friendly that you definitely loved uh, the connections that you were able to make with people. So now let's return to your life, because in addition to going on Wheel of Fortune, I believe you also went on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I did. So it was another one of those random contestant searches. They came to New Orleans and my dad and I went to audition for Millionaire and I made it through and did a couple interviews. And then they wanted me to go and fly to New York. I think this was back in 2012. I had just graduated from college in June and they wanted me to fly out in the beginning of August. And I kind of told them like, Hey, I'm actually moving to New York in September. Is there any way I can just do it when I get there? They're like, that's great. Perfect. No problem. So I moved to New York, literally have the whole like move to the big city, ready to pursue Broadway and all of that. And I'm ready for those moments. And I filmed who wants to be a millionaire two days later and as wild and crazy as that was, I filmed with Meredith Vieira when she was the host, and it was so fun. I ended up winning 43000 on that one, so it was really fun. And it was another one of those, like, I got to the $100,000 question, but just looked at it and had no clue what the answer was. So at that moment, it was just like, well, I can't be mad. I'm going to walk away and be proud of what I've got. But it was one of those questions I would have never known the answer to otherwise. So I just did my best and felt good about it. Now, here's one of those questions. Do you remember the question? 100%. I will never forget it. (laughs) That's what I found. Tell me what the question was. So the question was, in an interview on the Dick Cavett show, what – what unknown what what directors said that the, an unknown Adolf Hitler was the most boring person he'd ever met? The Dick Cavett show. Well, that is one of those ones where I'd be thinking to myself, right. <laughs> what on earth? If I were to guess, the person I'd have to guess would be Eric von Stroheim. Well, so the the answers were like Orson Welles and Stanley Kubrick and Cecil B. DeMille. And it was one of those that I just like, I could have sat there and talked about it. And that's kind of the perk of millionaire that they don't really rush you. So as long as you're talking it out and trying to figure out your answer and making logical reasonings, they don't give you a time limit. I mean, it could have changed now, but back when I did the show, that's how they approached it. And I sat there for a minute, like part of me in my mind is thinking, okay, you have an opportunity to win $100,000. You have a 25% chance to get this right. You're never going to be faced with this again for a long time where it's 25% chance that you'll walk away with $100,000. So part of me was really thinking about guessing and going for it. And I just couldn't find any logical reasoning to pick one over the other. And at that point, then the, the reasonable part of me was like, okay, you have 43000 but if you miss this, you lose 18000 and you go down to twenty five. And I'm 22 at the time. So part of me is like, 18000 is a lot of money. <laughs> like, I will, I will definitely use that. I just moved to New York. Like, that is a couple months of rent. I need to be cautious about this. So took that moment and just decided to walk away with the 43000 And of course, you're like, should I have gone for it? But the answer I was leaning towards definitely was incorrect. So I'm glad I didn't. But it was... It was a moment of like, oh, should I do this or not? (laughs) What is the right answer? I'm very curious now. It was Orson Welles. And so 
and of course, in today's technology, I YouTubed it just to see if that interview happened to be on YouTube. And if you type in Dick Cavett, Orson Welles, he talks about it. And you can see like exactly where they pull this question from, which is kind of cool. But also at the same time, like, oh, I wish I had just randomly watched that before I went on the show. <laughs> I still think it was a pretty reasonable decision you made because, again, yeah. while the expected value of a one in four guess is plus 25,000 in comparison sure. to minus 18,000, it's like, you know what? There's only one of those three outcomes where it actually – one of those four outcomes where it actually comes out ahead for me. So right. I got a 75% chance of being better off if I just go ahead and, and stick with the 43,000 I have. For sure. And it was definitely like 43,000 is no laughing matter. Like that was a, something to me that just made a big difference in my life. And I was very proud of that moment. So I, I'm glad I did it that way. But there's always part of you that's like, oh, what if, what if I had done it? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, I think that all of us are haunted. And as I've noted from my own run on the show, I will definitely remember Matt the Tiger for the rest of my <laughs> life. Oh, I will I will be following Tom Arnold's career for the rest of my days. <laughs> so tell me now about your journey because I believe you were you joined Soul Cycle. It was a big thing, a big important yeah. thing that came into your life, and you've done it in two different cities now. So talk about that part of your life. Yeah, so actually, so I was on a break from performing. And usually when you're on a break, you're kind of finding some steady work to just kind of keep your mind busy while you're auditioning. And also, you have to pay your bills. So I was working in retail at the time and was doing some merchandising and loved it, but just didn't feel super fulfilled. And a friend of mine was very adamant that I go try SoulCycle with her. And to be honest, she'd tried before and I really fought her. And I was just like, I'm not a big workout person. I don't love going to the gym. This is not really my thing. My idea of working out was a dance class. So for me, it was like, I don't know. It, it doesn't sound like I'm going to like it. And I, re I went and I begrudgingly went and fell in love with it. And it was just one of those things where it was a space where I just felt comfortable. It's not about looking in the mirror and everything being perfect. It's a dark room with candles and just fun music. So it felt very at home to me and what I enjoyed about dance class, but just set in a space that was a little bit more of an intense workout. And I really needed it at that point. And it just kind of hit me. The things the instructor were saying were very motivational and inspirational to me at the time. And I really just kind of fell in love at first ride. So we went to coffee after that class. And my two friends that I went with, we were just talking. They're like, why don't you see if they're looking for people to work at the front desk and people that just kind of work and you could do that as your part-time job because maybe you'll be a little happier doing that. You get to ride for free and just kind of have that perk of it so you could still be involved. And I said, why not? I applied and I got hired literally a week later to work at the front desk on the Upper West Side in New York City. And I did that for a couple of months and then they asked me to be a manager. My ex-husband and I decided to move to New Jersey. And we were living in New Jersey. I helped open the New Jersey studio. And then at that point, I kind of just got bitten by the bug. I was riding a lot. And I said, why not me? Why don't I try to audition? And I would love to be an instructor, but never really thought it was for me because I didn't come from a fitness background. And I didn't have all of that big beefcake muscle stuff from the gym. So it was just, okay, like, what do I have to offer? And went in and I 
got it on my first try, which was kind of unheard of at the time. And I just really loved it. So I went in and I've been instructing now for, it'll be five years in July, which is kind of crazy. But it's one of those that this whole journey with SoulCycle has kind of really taught me, go for the random experiences. And sometimes you think the routine of it and being super steady is going to be the best thing for you. And I've learned more about myself and picking up and moving to a new city and trying new things. So I spent time in New York and I taught there for about three years. They asked me to move to Boston to teach out in that market. And I taught there for a year and a half. And that was randomly when we filmed Mental Samurai back in October, I was living in Boston. And then while we waited for the show to premiere, I moved to Chicago in the beginning of February. So I've been here for a couple months now. And it's definitely one of those, each city has its own identity, but everywhere you go, Soul Cycle is this great thing where it's a, a great workout, but even greater community and sense of people and everyone's welcome. So it's always been super exciting for me to see how people are embracing it and how people love to come and what they get out of riding. And it's more than just the workout for them. So I have really loved what the company stands for and what they really provide for us. So it's something that I definitely enjoy doing and I'm so glad I found it. And one of the things I've seen from getting to follow you on Facebook now is that your soul cycle sessions are really a performance as well. You've got themes, you've yeah. got costumes. Talk about some of those. I love the Freddie Mercury costume you wore. That was incredible. Oh, thanks. So one of the things I've gotten really well known for is when I was in New York City, I was trying to kind of be something different and new. And so part of it is SoulCycle has been around for 13 years now. So it, a lot of people have taken class before. They have their instructors that they've taken from. So my approach was how do I kind of combine my strengths of performing with class? And I talked to one of the studio managers and we thought it would be a fun idea if I taught a Beyonce ride dressed up like Beyonce. And so this was for a class at 8 p.m. on the Upper East Side in New York. And it was a class that people didn't just fall into. They kind of needed a reason to go. So I put out a little teaser video of me dancing on the bike, dressed in a Beyonce wig and Beyonce costume. And that class ended up selling out. And it was the first time that class had sold out. And it just felt really fun and exciting. Everyone was really super over the top involved with it. They wanted to take pictures after class. And it just became like, okay, this costume thing, people loved it. So then I just started kind of adding it in in other ways. So I've done rides from ABBA rides and I've done Hamilton rides where I dress up like George Washington and ride the bike to the Hamilton soundtrack. And it's just kind of a fun way for me to perform and get that bug that I still have. Cause I still love performing. I think it's something that I'll never ever be done with. I think it's just finding the different outlets to do it. And the cool thing about this is that I am in charge of the whole class. So I get to decide exactly what choreography we do, what outfit I'm wearing, what songs I want to play and the jokes I want to tell and what I want to say. So I get so much more creative control than if I was on stage doing a show, which I love. I still love that side of performing and dancing and doing that. But this one, I really kind of get to wear all the different hats. So it's so exciting for me because every ride is a little different and it makes it fun and new every time. Mm, so instead of just being the dancer, you're the dancer, you're the choreographer, you're the director, you're everything. For sure, for sure, which is really fun. And it's kind of cool to see the different ways I can take things like that and um, really explore with it. Now, we'll certainly talk about this again at the end. But if somebody happens to be listening who is in Chicago and wants yeah. to take one of your classes, how do they find you? 
So the easiest way is to go to the SoulCycle website, soul-cycle.com, and they can just click their region. And I definitely encourage, even if you're not in Chicago, like I would love it if you're in Chicago or you're passing through and you want to come take my class, definitely come take my class. But there are some incredible instructors that work for this company in all the different markets we have. So even if you're in LA or if you're in Northern California by you, I think try to find the closest studio to you and just go try a class. I think it's definitely one of those things where everybody kind of has some preconceived notions until you go and sit in a class. And I'm a prime example of it. I thought it was some completely different thing until I went and experienced it for myself. And going to that class and just the way I left feeling it was one of those moments that I'll never forget. I, it really turned my day around and it really made me feel good. And I mean, my mom still laughs at me to this day. She's like, I couldn't believe it when you called me that night and we're talking about how much a workout class made you feel like that. And it's just one of those things that it, it definitely is an experience you need to experience to fully understand. Hmm. So now let's get to the part where you end up on Mental Samurai. How did this happen? Yeah. Because obviously this time you weren't in New Orleans for some random right. group of people <laughs> to come through and get you on the show. So how did this one happen? So I actually had a really good connection from my who wants to be a millionaire days. Mm -hmm. And so one of the casting producers from that show just happened to see something online and she sent it to me of like, Hey, are you interested in this? Like you should submit for this. I think you'd be great. And I just sent in a video and then I got a phone call the next day. And then about eight or nine Skype interviews, however many we ended up doing later, I got on the show. I'm glad to hear that you had to do a lot of Skype interviews as well, because there were other people who said, Oh, I did one interview and then they told me I was on the show. I'm like, I had to do all these interviews. Did they not like oh, me? Oh no. I feel like it went on for months. I, I definitely was not a quick one for me. <laughs> so you decide, I'm going to go on this show. At the time, you were in Boston, and you have to fly yep. out to L.A. But you've been uh -huh. to L.A. before, obviously. You've been on Wheel of Fortune. And so this is not something new to you. This is like, okay, old hat. Or is there something about it that makes you nervous? So I'd been to L.A. before, but actually when I filmed Wheel, they filmed it in New Orleans. So they did College Week and they filmed it at the New Orleans Convention Center. So it was a little bit different in terms of like the TV studio and that kind of thing. But I mean, I had a basic idea of it. Um, I got to go and visit one of my friends who teaches out in L.A., who we trained to be instructors together. So the night before we filmed, I went and took her class just as like my outlet to get out some nerves and as much as I feel like I'm a very outgoing person, I get nervous for sure. And part of it, especially given the fact that I had been on shows before, I almost felt a little bit of this pressure to kind of live up to it. And you never want to be the person who goes and just feels like they choked. So I wanted to be able to give my best and do everything right. So of course, I was a little nervous going in. Um, and after our interview session on Monday, I was just like, okay, like you need to take a second, take a step back, calm it down and just go into Tuesday, ready to perform and just give it your best. Well, you know, one of the things I told Joey in my interview, and I think it's absolutely true is if only I'd realized just how much how experienced so many of the competitors were, I would have been even more intimidated because here I am, I'm a rookie. I've never done any of this stuff before. And I'm looking around, I'm like, oh my God, Jeopardy champions and who wants to be a millionaire contestants and the chase and all these different things. And wow, this is this, this world that I had no idea existed. For sure. And you could kind of tell they were trying to figure out a balance of contestants who were a little bit more on the physical side of things. Like, 
athletes and uh, like me with the spin instructor. And then you had people who were Mensa members and have doctorates and PhDs. And so I remember them asking me some questions of like, how does it feel to be the cycling instructor that's going up against people who have doctorate degrees from Harvard? And I'm like, okay, like, (laughs) okay, now I wasn't nervous, but now you've made me a little nervous. Like, and part of it, I think we just didn't really know what the game was entirely going to be. And if you luck out and just happen to get a question that you know, you're great, but you could have all the degrees in the world. If you just don't know the answer to the question, it's not going to help you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are no degrees in recognizing male celebrities. Yeah, thankfully there is not. But if there is, then I definitely need to go take a remedial course. (laughs) So you're there in L.A., as part of uh-huh. Team Tuesday, which is the designation I've yeah. given to our day, very powerful day, did incredibly well on the show. What we were your did. impressions of the group and what was that day like for you leading up to the filming? So, I mean, we get in and I honestly was a little overwhelmed with how many people were in our group. I've done when I've done these shows before, we'll, they had the contestants already picked out for day. So, you know, there's three people per day. So there were 15 of us total. And then for Millionaire, they did it in groups of 10. So I wasn't expecting a group of 30. I was really expecting like maybe five or 10 people going to be there on the day. I didn't realize they were doing as many contestants as they did over the show. So really, that was the first shock for me of, okay, now I'm nervous because there's so many people. So if there's so many people, they must be expecting to go through people pretty quickly. That means people are going to get questions wrong and who knows? And I think part of it for us was that, and maybe this is a little different for you, but I don't ever remember them telling us in our Skype interviews that you couldn't miss a question. So the second they kind of sat us down and explained the game, I was like, oh, shoot, like I've got to be absolutely perfect. I can't miss a question. And if I do, there's 29 other people right behind me ready to take the next spot. So that was the part that kind of got me a little nervous and I kind of had to calm down about. But I think the biggest help that I had going into Tuesday was that I kind of knew from the process of filming those other shows, it's a lot of just this game of hurry up and wait. And that you get there really early, they keep you in the room, they explain everything, and then time just seems to tick by so slowly until you actually get to go play. I mean, I remember we got there at 6 a.m. and I was the last person from Team Tuesday to get to play. And I remember not even starting my game until 11.30 p.m. So... It's just one of those, like, it's a long day. You've got to keep your stamina up. And I always said it was kind of like we were little puppy dogs at a pet store that anytime they came in to get us to bring the next contestant back, we all were just like, okay, who's next? Like, is it my turn? Is it my turn? Like, pick me, pick me. (laughs) I want my forever home. Yeah, right. Seriously, like, is it my turn yet? I want to go. I want to go. I want to (laughs) go. That's a great metaphor. And it's also the case that, you know, being – basically imprisoned together. I use the term like a murder juror was really an interesting experience because we were organizing ourselves to play games. We were talking with each other. We were singing. I think there were some yoga uh, studio things that happened at some point in time. So it was really interesting to see the different ways that people reacted to that situation. I've definitely learned when you take people's phones away and they can't really control what's going on, people will do some really interesting things, whether it's like making their own rules to create an extra challenge in Jenga or finding different ways to like, I remember um, Catherine and I took 
one of the Us Weekly magazines. And of course, looking back, it's like, oh, maybe this should have helped me, but it just wasn't the right people. We just started to cover up the the captions and the taglines of the pictures in the magazine and tried to guess each other on who each person was. And so, I mean, obviously it's not built for that. So we're trying to figure out the best way to do it. But it was one of those where we were just trying to pass the time and you never knew at what moment they were going to come in and get you. You didn't know if you were going to play at 3 p.m. or 10 p.m. And so you're trying to keep your energy up and your spirits alive because you're also going to be on camera. So you don't want to look like you're tired and haggard on camera, but you also are like, I'm losing my mind just sitting in this room where I have to ask to go to the bathroom. Like, (laughs) am I back in kindergarten again? Yeah, my strategy was every time they said, does anyone want to go to the bathroom? I'm like, I'm going. I'm going because anything's better than this. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And it's one of those, like, you just don't know. And you kind of expect it to be quick and everything to run smoothly. But I definitely get it. Like, the first season of a show, they've got to figure out all the kinks and the technical stuff. So I understand why. And I think that was the biggest help for me was like, okay, don't stress yourself out. When it's your turn, they will come get you. Like, they know where you are. It's not like you disappeared. Like, they will wait for you, and they will come get you when they're ready for you. Exactly. You know that the system works. It may grind a little bit. It may have some unexpected bumps, but you know the system works because you've been through it at least twice before. Absolutely. So that was the biggest advantage for me was just – and, of course, it's a little different. Like, I – I went for Millionaire, and the way they work for Millionaire is they bring you all in, and they get through as many contestants as they can. And they may get through all of you. They may only get through four of the ten. So anybody who doesn't get to play the first day, they have a hard stop time. And then when they hit that time, the day is done. So then if you didn't get to play the first day, you're the first people back on the next day. So basically that's what happened for me for Millionaire was I went on a Thursday. I waited there all day long didn't get to play and then went to play on Friday. And to be perfectly honest, I think that was one of the things that helped me the most because I went on on Friday now knowing exactly what to expect of like, okay, you're going to wait until they're ready, but you're going to play early today. So I went in so fresh and ready to go. And I think it was a big help. Yeah, no, I definitely felt throughout the day that my big terror was that I would have come down here, come all this way and never even get on. And I also knew by looking at the numbers around us, I'm like thinking to myself, we're not going to all make it on the air. In fact, the vast majority of us aren't going to make it on the air. So now I have to think about how do I arrange it so that I make it on the air? Of course, I could do it by actually winning, but that seems unlikely considering how incredible the rest of these contestants are. So what can I do to make myself appealing to the producers? Right. Well, and that's the thing. I think that goes back to what I said before of – they picked you for a certain reason. They know your story. They know exactly what you offer to them as a contestant. So if you try to go in there and manipulate it to be something that you think they'll want to use, it actually kind of messes up the system a little bit where they know, oh, here's Ryan, who's like a fun performer. If I go in there and I'm going to be like, I'm going to be so laser focused and just answer as quickly as I can, it would have been a very different outcome of what they saw when I played the game. So I think part of it is you have to like be confident enough in what you offer that they'll still want you and want to show your story. Absolutely. And for me, that came down to not focusing on finishing as quickly as possible, but rather checking answers and then also Mm -hmm. trying to be as vocal as possible. So they had as much as possible to work with. Well, and I think that was the difference for me between the first round and then the finale. The first round, I went in like, 
be fun, be energetic. If you got something quippy that comes to you, like have a joke and a tag, like Sam was the king of the tagline and just something like that, that if they can pull as a soundbite, maybe that's what you get. Like, obviously you can't force that, but as much as we all now are very familiar with Sam saying, Jesus, take the wheel. And I don't pay attention to straight relationships. Like those things just came off the cuff and really people fell in love with it. So as much as I was trying to do that in the first round, the second round, it became, okay, no, my strategy has got to change. Like I still have to be me, but now I'm racing the clock and I really have to be move quickly. And I really have to make sure that I'm not going to lose out on time because I was trying to be fun and personable. You know what I mean? Exactly. Because in the finale, you know, listen, I'm going to appear on the air. Now, as it turns out, it still mattered because there were people who were montaged. Mm -hmm. Everyone got their disposition played on the air, but in some cases it was only via montage. So I counted myself as very fortunate to squeeze out as much airtime as possible. For sure. Yeah, that definitely is one of those things where it's like, you're definitely going to get airtime if you win. So you try to do your best, but I, it's it's hard. You also never know how much time they have to work with, what they really need to say and put in. So as much as you try to think about that, it's also so out of your hands that you just have to go in and do your best and hope that it's enough. And usually from that, I think the more real you are and the more just 100% authentically you the better chance you have of just getting more and more of that airtime. Yeah. And I think that being authentically you really ties into something that Joey once said, which is the most important thing for any of these competitions is to be relaxed so that your brain can conjure up the knowledge that's actually there so that you can see the patterns that are there. And if you're tense, it's just going to be a lot harder. For sure. So I I think that's 100% true. It was – so for me, I think the most stressful moment was walking into the pod – for the very last run in the circle of samurai in the finale. And I think that they were trying to figure out like, okay, well, if Heather wins, how are we going to show it? Okay. If Ryan wins, what camera angle do we need of him in the pod? So they were trying to figure all this out. And I was just sitting in the pod and I sat there for about 45 minutes, just like strapped in, in the pod, ready to go. The audience is trying to like cheer me on, interact with me. And I went into total Zen mode and just kind of like closed my eyes and just tried to relax myself as much as possible because I knew if I went in too hyped up or too stressed out, I was going to have a moment and I just wasn't going to be able to think on my best. So I really tried to do exactly that and just stay super relaxed and super calm because any kind of heightened level of emotion was just kind of messed me up a little bit. See, that also explains something because I went back to our imprisonment room uh-huh. after my run because I'd seen I, they kept me around for Heather's run. And then I said, well, surely Ryan's run isn't going to take that long. I mean, no matter what, it's only going to be a couple of minutes and then right. we'll be out of here. But I was sitting in that room and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I was just back there with Quinn and she was busy. She was occasionally talking to people on the phone. So I had nothing to do. And I finally eventually ended up going to sleep. And I was wondering, what on earth is taking so long? I didn't realize that you were stuck in the capsule for 45 minutes twiddling your thumbs while they figured out what to do. Well, it was another one of those where it's like it could happen in two minutes and I could be here really quickly. This could be a 10-minute conversation. And then it ended up being 45 minutes. And I don't think that that has anything to do with the gameplay. And it's like, oh, I didn't win because I sat there for 45 minutes. But it definitely was like I have to be conscious about keeping myself relaxed and calm so that I can just do my best. 
Absolutely. So let's now walk through a little bit your two diff. Well, your three, your two different runs, both the yeah. regular season and the finale. So in the regular season, you know, uh-huh. you come on, and this is why I nicknamed you Mister Fabulous because your energy <laughs> just comes through. It's really clear that yeah. you are celebrating, you're fist pumping, you're doing all this great stuff. Rob loves you. The audience loves you. Right. And so I thought it was a fantastic run. Now during the Thank first you. twelve questions. Were there any questions that had you worried? Was there any point at which, you know, there was something like, oh, I don't know what to do? Absolutely. So honestly, the first question I stared at longer than I needed to because I was very, very in my mind, do not miss the first question. Do not miss the first question. Don't be that person. Like get at least the first one right and then whatever happens, happens. So the first question, I'm very like gripping onto the handles of Ava. Just like, please let me get this right. Um, And then I felt pretty good until I got to, um, which one was it? Boxing? The boxing one was it, that that definitely stressed. I mean, you can see the ones I I can see it in my face where there are answers where the question comes up and I am confident. I'm like excited because I know the answer. That was one that I saw that question come up and I'm like, well, this is where I lose. This is where it happens because I have no idea. And so it just became talk it out. Don't take too much time, but like make sure you're making the right guess because this is definitely a guess. You don't know this to the point where you can confidently just shout the answer and say, move me to the next one because I'm right. I don't really know if I'm going to get this right. And my instant reaction every time that those questions passed when I got them right was just complete relief of, oh my goodness, I can't believe I got that. That one was one in the boxing and the the one with the Van Gogh painting. Yes, the Van Gogh. I was wondering if you knew the answer or if you had to guess. I completely guessed. So I, <laughs> my first instinct was, okay, you've got three answers. Take one out immediately. And I knew looking at it, it wasn't tulips. So I was like, okay, Lily strikes me because there's a lot of paintings with lilies. And so I was making sure in my mind I didn't confuse Monet's lily paintings with this Van Gogh painting. So I looked at it again and I said, I've never heard of Van Gogh doing lilies, so I think it's got to be irises. Iris is blue. We're going to hope that's right. And went with that. And at that same time, it was also like, I don't want to spend too much time on it because even if I then get it right because I took a lot of time, I don't want to be stressed for time later. And I mean, looking back, I definitely had plenty of time left. But in that moment, I just didn't know what else was coming. So I was trying to make as educated as a guest as I could without overthinking it to the point of losing too much time. Yeah. But I still feel like you did a good job of thinking it out. And yeah. for me, uh, that was one of those questions where I'm like, wow, I really don't know flowers. I have no idea what a lily or an mm-hmm. iris looks like. I know what a tulip exactly. looks like. That at least I know. Right. But I have no clue. And I was uh, obviously I knew that you had gotten the question right, but I was still filled with suspense in that moment. Yeah, it was definitely a moment of, oh, wow. And that was a question that when I actually saw the episode playback, I didn't even remember that question because I think I blocked it out so quickly after that. It's just like, whew, okay, like that one's done. Just move on to the next thing. Uh, it's a lot easier when they're asking you to put Celine Dion, Gwen Stefani, and Shakira in order right. of geographic. That's, that's easy. But at the same time, <laughs> those questions almost like you also have to balance out because you don't want to miss something that's considered easy because yeah. then you're that person who missed the easy question. Like, honestly, for me, I was so panicked. I was going to have a moment like the guy who got 
the puzzle where he was trying to say the word friends and he could come up with durfins like that to me I thought I was going to have one of those moments because I was just so like, don't choke on something easy. Like take your time, take a second, but be confident. <laughs> I will say that Kenyatta, who is Mr. Durfins has done a great job of, of running with it. And he even yes. has a t-shirt that says Durfins on it and the I friends logo. And I'm like, good oh, for you. Good for I you. I think you need to own it. Like I want to get a Tom Arnold, like life-size cutout and just keep it in my apartment. It's just a constant reminder of like, okay, I know who you are. I see you. <laughs> and then anyone who comes in, you, why do you have a cutout of Tom Arnold? Funny story. <laughs> Absolutely. Or they'll know. They'll be like, oh, Tom. Hey, Tom. <laughs> so then we get to the circle of samurai. Yeah. And the question that takes you down is – male celebrities it's a bunch of davids uh-huh. so talk to me about what happened there so i get to that question and i see it i instantly am like okay i know david beckham i kind of i knew from visual memory david letterman and larry david not to the point okay. where i could like pull out the name and part of it was if i had sat there for another minute i pretty much could have like filtered through my memory to figure out who they were I had no idea who David Duchovny was. So when I realized that, like, I feel like I've never seen this man before in my life, I'm going to have to take a guess. It then became, okay, you still have two questions left if you happen to guess right. So guess kind of quickly so that you save yourself a little bit of time and you don't bomb out rushing if you end up getting this right. So then it just became, okay, well, the whole thing is to put them in order by their last name. Well, they didn't give me any names to put in order, so I had to figure out a way to even guess. And then I was like, right. okay, well, let's just go like placement of where they are on the screen. And to be honest, I don't know if they would have counted it since I didn't actually say any of their names. They may have, they may not have. I, would have, I could have seen the case either way where they were like, well, he got the order right. He just didn't really say their names. Or if they said, no, you, we wanted you to say all of their names, you didn't get it right. I would have understood. Obviously, I would have been a little bummed, but at that point, it was just like, you got to make some kind of guess. It was one of those, this one was a little different than Millionaire. If this was the Millionaire style rules, where if I took a guess and I lost money, I would not have guessed at all because I had no idea. But because it was kind of like a free guess, I was like, let's figure out how to get there and tried my best and just, and didn't have it. But at the same time, it was one of those, like, I don't feel too bad about it because it was something that I knew I did not know David Duchovny. So it's not like I feel like I missed something or went too quickly and just messed up and I'm going to kick myself for it. It was like, I didn't know who he was, so I can't be mad about it. So I do have to ask, did you ever watch the X-Files in the old days? I never did. So of course, afterwards, everybody's like, you never watched the X-Files? And it was like, no, I never did. Listen, these things happen, and yep. I think you made a valiant attempt to try to get it anyways. I was really impressed by the creativity of, well, upper left, lower right. right. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, I hope he gets it. Well, and that was the thing. I was just, I don't know. Like, I've got to try it somehow. And part of me was just like, okay, I mean, attempt it. Okay, whoops, I missed it. Oh, well, it happens. <laughs> now we get to 
the big finale. Uh-huh. And of course, in the finale, it's a very different kind of day because instead of there being 30 people, it's just the finalists. Yeah. And all of us together for a day, Kevin's like working his Rubik's Cube the entire time and everyone's sort of reverting to whatever their their natural state is. But again, I thought it was a, a great group of people. I'm really glad I got a chance to meet the folks from other days as well. For sure. I was so much more intimidated going into the finale than I was going into day one. And day one was already intimidating for me because there were so many people and they kept talking it up. Like we have Clayton, who's an astronaut. You've got Ed Moses, who's the Olympic gold medalist. And you're just like, uh, and then there's me. Hello. And that I kind of felt even more so of that um, when we had the finale contestants, because it was just, you know, every single one of these people was really smart and won and did really well. So not only now do they have all these accolades and backgrounds that are, really strong they've proven that they're good at this game so now i'm competing against them so before it was just i just have to go in there and do my best against what questions i get now we kind of knew going in we're competing against each other so there was even more stress for me that round because you were like okay i've got to try to hold my own against these people and these are some of the smartest people that i've met it was definitely intimidating, and I didn't necessarily like my chances thinking about it. Uh, I will also say, you mentioned Same something here. very quickly. Was Ed on our day on Tuesday as well? I may have just forgotten him somehow. I feel bad about that. He was. He was definitely on our day. He went so fast. I think he was the first one to get to play from our group. So I feel like I talked to him, I think, in the very beginning, like very briefly, and then they came in to – do the rules and all of that stuff. So I didn't get a lot of interaction time with him, but I definitely remember him that day because the second he said his name, I was like, I know that name. Like, why is that familiar? And then they said something about him and his Olympic medals. And I was like, oh, that's why I know he's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, no. And again, when, when you're going up against astronauts and Olympic gold medalists and Jeopardy champions, it can't help but feel a little intimidating. Right. Well, and that was the other thing, too, is that it's like we, until we got there that day, didn't really know what the gameplay looked like. So they kept asking us, do you get motion sickness? Do you get vertigo? And part of me is like, I don't throw up when I go upside down on a roller coaster, but I haven't really done anything more intense than that. So I don't know. I mean, like my cycling classes are pretty intense, but not to the point that this is going to happen. So I think we were all a little like, okay, like, who's going to be more dominant here? Is it going to be the mental aspect or is it, are people really going to be tripped up by the physicality of the movements of the machine? Yeah. And thank goodness it was the former and not the latter, because otherwise I would have no yeah. chance. <laughs> Agreed. It definitely, like I was expecting to have to answer questions upside down and just trying to do those memory questions while hanging upside down. That's what I went in expecting. And thankfully, it was not that. So I was a little happy about that. <laughs> yeah. And it ended up being, I think, I feel like the finale day, the waiting around was more fun just because it was a more manageable group. And we were doing things right. like playing cards against humanity and really learning about everyone. I mean, I did my best to get to know people on our Tuesday, yeah. but there were just so many people. I could only sidle up to so many, which is why I missed right. folks like Ed. For sure. And I think part of it, too, for me was just at least going into the finale, we'd all won money at that point. So there wasn't any risk of walking away with nothing. So I think at the same time, while I was a little stressed about these are the best of the best and these people have really proven that they know what they're doing in this game, there was also part of me who was like, okay, at the same time, I'm not losing anything by being here. So I'm just going to go and you never know what happened. And I think if anything, that was really proven in what we saw in the finale of that 
you never knew what was going to happen. Absolutely not. And so we come down to the actual time of competition and they start taking mm-hmm. us out one by one now instead of in groups. It's one by one. Yep. So it's even more intimidating in some way. Oh, of course. Of course. And so you went uh, – roughly what order did you go? I was the fourth person to go. So I was actually the first person who we thought like if they – they aired it a little bit out of yeah, order. Yeah, anachronic just that. a bit. Right. So when – I went, my first stressor is, okay, the first three people got to go. They automatically get to fill the three chairs in the winner's circle because there isn't anyone to kick them out. So my first stress was I could be that person who goes and doesn't get to go to the winner's circle because I lose before them. So my whole goal was get to the winner's circle. Just get there. In, in my mind, I'm thinking, you've got Jackie, you've got you and Heather and Nathan and Ben and all these people who've done so well in comparison to my run that I don't think I have a chance. So my whole goal is go in there, answer very fast because it's probably going to come down to time. And the faster you go, the better chance you stand. So, I mean, before I let the question finish and was just like really focused on figuring out my answer – this time, the second I knew the answer, I locked it in. I didn't wait for her to finish the question. I just went straight for it. Which was exactly the right thing to do. But in addition to everything else, you were able to get all the way through the course. You did not, like Sam, like Heather, like me, lose on question 11 because we couldn't remember what the <laughs> hell a quarter looks like. It's one of those things where I, if you asked me that question five times on different days, Some days I guarantee you I would have gotten as quickly as I did on TV. And there are definitely times where I would have done the same thing you guys did and just assumed it was the other way because that would be too easy. And I thank my lucky stars that I just kind of went for it and didn't think about it too much. And my instinct was just like, this looks right to me. I'm going to go for it. And that could have totally backfired, but I'm glad it didn't. (laughs) And I told Joey when he interviewed me, I said, you know, my first instinct was definitely the correct answer, but then I stopped myself. Right. And yep. again, I can't kick myself too much for it because it didn't matter in the end. And so that allowed right. me to have a good sense of humor about it. But gosh, it must be tougher for Sam. Well, and I think one of the things that they kind of said before we started taping on Tuesday really stuck with me that they said, like, we're not trying to trick you. These questions are designed to make you think but they're not trick questions and they have an answer that is easily figure outable, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, so for me, it was like, don't stare at a question too long because then you're going to start to really second guess yourself and go with your gut instinct. And that was the strategy that I'm glad I kept because it definitely felt like, okay, this could be too easy. Or as thinking back on it now, I still like, now it's definitely ingrained in my head. Like, George Washington faces the left on a corner. Like that is definitely the way he looks. <laughs> I will but, remember that until the day I die. I'm pretty sure about exactly. that. For sure. So it's one of those things that like that has a reason for me that now I will think and always remember that. But I guarantee you, if you ask some of these normal people, if you just went up to them and said, I have a quarter in the palm of my hand, does George Washington face the right or does he face the left? Answer me now. Go. I guarantee you some people are going to get it right away by a stroke of luck. Some people are maybe going to think that they know and just guess. I, it's one of those questions where it's, you think it's easy, but it's really not. 
And part of it is just keeping yourself relaxed enough to know that you know the answer because you've seen a quarter so many times. But we also live in an age now where I can't tell you the last time I've paid with a quarter. Exactly. I mean, I haven't touched a quarter in years probably. Right. So then you are in what I would now call the purgatory room with the cameras on you. <laughs> you get to sit in the big number one chair moving Kevin over. I think you yep. you kick out Dylan. Was it Dylan who got kicked out as a result? I eliminated Marissa. Marissa. Ah, yes, Marissa. And yeah. so now you're sitting in purgatory. So what was that experience like as you sort of sweated it out? Now, you had to feel pretty good because you had gotten all the way through. So at least that was a, a pretty good chance that you were making it on to the next round. But you were still sweating it out. So talk to me about what was going through your mind. So I was actually sweating pretty bad there. I mean, and oh, literally, literally physically sweating because I remember you showed me afterwards. <laughs> literally sweating and figuratively sweating to the point where the wardrobe department had to keep asking me to take off my sweatshirt because I was sweating through my armpits. I was so stressed out. So they kept blow drying, like TV magic people. They were blow drying the sweat stains off of my my teal sweatshirt so that it didn't look like I was as stressed and gross as I was. Um, but part of it for me, like I felt good that I got all 12, but my instant assumption was, okay, if I got all 12, everybody after me is going to get all 12 too. So I now I'm going to have to hope for time. And I felt really good about my time until I got to the last question. And the last question with the picture of the gym rat, I looked at and it took me a good 30 seconds to get that question because I... I looked at it and my instant thought was mouse and mm. I couldn't get off of mouse. And I kept trying to think like, is it mighty mouse? Like what slang term has mouse? So then I kept just looking at it, looking at it, looking at it. And finally I said, okay, Ryan, start over, reread the question and then just start to look at things that you see, name it out loud. Maybe something will kick in. And I literally just said slang term. Okay. There's a mouse. He's in a gym. And the second I said gym, I was like, oh, it's gym rat. Lock it in. So I was happy that I got it, but at the same time, I was like, you wasted a ton of time. So if somebody else plowed through the other questions as quickly as I did and got to that one and did the same thing, it was just like, oh, Jim Rat locked it in quickly. I was done. Yeah. So I was pretty stressed and was sitting there like fully expecting everybody else to get to the point where it was now a competition for time. So I had no, no expectation at all that I was going to be the only one to get all 12. I really thought... If I can get all 12, these people are smarter than me. These people have done better than me in this game. They will 100% be right here with me. And so you're sitting in that room probably longer than anyone else sat in that yep. room. <laughs> oh, yes. And it, it's stressful because they are filming everything you say, everything you watch. You saw my reactions so many times of just shocked face and like fingers crossed and like tensing up just because – Every single person that went was another person that could come and get in front of me. And eventually, if you're on the hot seat, you're you're pretty at that point where you're like, okay, it's either them or me. And I didn't want to get to that spot. But like I said, I went fourth. So there were still seven people to go after me. So I had to sit there for a while and watch every single person's run, hoping hoping that they messed up a little bit but also like these are people that i've spent hours with now that i don't want them to lose and i don't want them to do badly but at the same time self-preservation part of me is like but if they do a worse than i do i stand a better chance yeah so you're you're there in the room how soon does heather join you so heather was 
so I went, and then Sam was after Heather. Oh, so Sam, okay, got it. And Sam took the second position, and then Heather was right after Sam. Got it. So very quickly, it shifts to you, Heather, and Sam. Yeah. And so when it shifted to the three of us, it was kind of like, okay, like I have a little bit of ease because I thought both of them were going to do better than I did. But then I also knew you've got Matt coming, and then you've got the four people who have basically won their show. And these are the four people who are the best of the best because they have walked away with $100,000. So they have, they also have yet to miss a question. Like these are people who have been absolutely perfect. Like I did great in my first round, but I got to the circle of samurai and missed question number two. These people have answered every single question, right. That has been thrown at them. So in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking there's no way there is literally no way that I can do better than all four of these people. Right. And so Matt goes and Matt is eliminated again because of his lack of useless pop cultural knowledge, which was the saying that tripped him up in the circle of samurai. And Matt makes no bones about it. He's a Marine. He's a blunt guy. He's like, this stuff is useless. I don't bother learning it. Right. Well, and it's funny, like they, I'm sure they have a ton of footage of us just reacting and it's Sam. uh, It's me, Sam and Heather at that point in the winter circle. And all three of us, when he gets to that question about the weddings, we all look at each other and we're like, I don't know that he knows this. Like, this may be the one that he goes out on because he doesn't really know pop culture. So we kind of expected it at that point. And when it happened, we were like, ooh, like I feel bad, but I wasn't as surprised. And part of it, like I said, it's it goes down to what you know. And I lucked out that it was three couples that I happened to know when they got married. And I knew the answer to that question. But if it was a different couple, it could have completely messed me up in that question. Once he said Portia, I'm like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's when you're like, okay. Like, oops. <laughs> and so this is where our stories intersect because I'm next in the shoot. Uh-huh. So what happens as that's going on? So as you're going, we basically know that Sam's on the bubble and – for Sam to to move forward, you have to get less than 10 questions right. And then when you get to the 10th question, we're all like, okay, like this is the one that matters because if he gets if you got question 11, Sam was automatically out, you bumped into second position and now Heather's on the bubble. And then if you just kept going at the same pace, you would have surpassed me and then you'd have been in the first seat. So the, basically, we were all stressed because we were all expecting to have to shift down a seat. And when you get to the quarter question, it's that same thing. We all have that shocked face of just, oh my goodness, I can't believe he missed it. Not because of anything with the question, but just because we were at that point where we've kind of resigned ourselves to here are the best four players to play the game. One of these four is going to take the whole thing. So the fact that even two of the three of us stood a chance at staying in the game at that point we were like, okay, this is different and totally unexpected. And then they come back and they're telling us that it's so close. They have to keep rewinding the footage to figure out who solved the 10th question faster. We're all stressed <laughs> and we're all just yeah. like, oh my goodness. Like at the same time, it's like, we, I knew you from team Tuesday, so I'm cheering for you. But I think about all the contestants, Sam was the one who I became the closest to in our time on the finale. So it's like, you, you kind of are like, who do I root for? Or what's going on? And obviously you want everybody to do well. So you're kind of hoping for the best, but it definitely was a moment of, 
I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. And I was sitting there in the capsule with no idea. They're saying then they, they just keep the stop and they're like, hold on. We have to look at the film. I'm like, what's right. going on? Well, you have no idea. It yeah. lit- and the fact that it came down to that little bit of time, I mean, three tenths of a second is so minuscule that you literally, I guarantee it's down to how quickly you pulled the lever yeah. is what made the difference. And Joey said this in the interview that he did with me. He said, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. That is more than a second. That may be right. the very difference between making the finale or not. For sure. But I, especially knowing Sam, like that's Sam's gut reaction of like, oh my goodness, like, I don't know this. Like, I'm going to have to take a guess. Like that's Sam's moment of just like, <gasps> okay, like Jesus, take the wheel. Like, help me, help me, help me focus. And that's kind of like his way of coaching himself. Yeah. But at, at that same time, since he went before you, he had no idea, like, I've got to be really quick because if it's down to time, I mean, you're not expecting it to be that close in time. Oh, none of us was. If it's down to time, you're expecting like seconds, maybe like 15, 20 second difference at most, but you were never expecting it the opposite way where it was so close that they had to rewind the footage and get it to down to tenths of a second. Like, I would never have expected that. Exactly. It's not like the NBA where they have a little tenths of a second on the shot clock. I mean, how are they going to do this? Right. And this is not like the Olympics. Like it's not a track meet where you are down to hundreds of a second. Like none of us were expecting it to get down that close. They may have had to go frame by frame. Oh, I guarantee they had to because there was no, there's no way you could get it that close otherwise. So then they make the resolution and they tell me, hey, you know, by three tenths of a second, you're moving on. You're ahead of Sam. I'm like, oh, my God. And what's happening in the purgatory room when this is going on? So we find out and they tell you we see the footage of Rob telling you like they aired on TV. And it's hard because we feel bad for Sam at that point. We're like, oh, like I as much as I hate the way that I lost, I think I would have hated that even more. Oh, just yes. Because you're just like, it's so close. And that's the difference of getting to go to that final round versus not. But at the same time, given all of that happening, I still fully expected that none of the three of us that were then in the top three were going to advance because you've got Jackie, you've got Nathan, and you've got Ben. My whole expectation is that all three of them are coming to just wipe the slate clean and the three of them are going to be the ones in the final. Well, you remember we were sitting in that room at this point and I was telling you guys, hey, you know, this has been great. I'm going to enjoy my time in this room as long as it lasts. But I'm sorry, I'm not making it through. Uh, I wish the best for for you guys, but I'm not making it through. Those three are going to knock me out for sure. Yeah. Well, and then so then Jackie was the next to run after you and – that was the one where basically if Jackie did better than me, then I would move down to the second spot. But if Jackie did worse than me, I'm automatically in the finals. Exactly. So they edited it a little differently, but my reaction when Jackie misses that first question is my reaction to realizing like, I actually have a shot at this. Like I'm moving on. It wasn't like as much as I was shocked that Jackie missed that question I was also just flabbergasted that I was still in the game. 
Yeah. And I was stunned as well. And I think they did eventually show this reaction shot of us just uh-huh. mouths agape and completely oh, they, surprised they, and stunned. They made it a gif. And it's literally all three of us. We're sitting there. And then all of a sudden, all of our jaws drop at the same exact time because we could not believe it. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. And of course, if you followed her on Facebook, you saw that Jackie actually posted a GIF of of her curling that she did that back in February, I guess. Her form looked really good, too. I love it. That just speaks to her character. And she's one of those people where it's like, hey, I did my best. And I just got a question that, you know what, tripped me up for a second. But like, I'm going to have fun with this. And I think that's the biggest thing is that some people go on shows like this, and they get super stressed out. And they really let take it to heart. As much as I joke about like having a Tom Arnold cut out, it's one of those things where it's like, you know what? I didn't know the question. So as much as I wanted to be different, I couldn't have done anything differently. So I can't be mad at myself. I did absolutely my best and I'm sure she feels the same way. Absolutely. And then Ben goes and Ben misses a question about halfway through. Uh-huh. And I can't remember exactly which question it was at this point in time. He missed he missed the continent question. The continent question. Got it. Yes, that was it. And I remember thinking, because, I mean, we saw the continent question. We all went right. through. We're like, this is trivial. This is easy. How can anyone miss it? And a bunch well, of people at that missed point, it. Once, once you came to the, the winner's circle, my whole assumption is, okay, the real determining factor here is questions 10, 11, and 12. Yeah. And so these three – are perfect so far like same thing they have been perfect every single time they've played this game so i expect them at least to get to question 10 now question 10 became the one that was like will they get this because as we saw with you sam and heather that was the one that all three of you got knocked out on so it then became that's a question will they get that one and then the final question then became if they get the quarter question will they do the 12th question faster than I did it. Yep. So I think it came down to that for me. And when it was just like, when they didn't even get anywhere near that question, it was just like, oh my goodness, like, I can't believe this. I really expected to be, I kind of expected to be Sam where I was in third place and then got bumped off to fourth in the very last moment. Right. And meanwhile, Heather and I first, you know, Ben goes. And when Ben is unable to complete the course, Heather knows she's in. We congratulate her as well. And now Mm -hmm. it's just me sweating out Nathan's run. And when Nathan guesses the coins instead of the jewelry on the memory question, I know I'm in. And uh, we celebrate a little bit. I mean, we're 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 really uh, pretty emotional at that point. For sure. And I I think that also speaks to like the length of the day. Like we've been there all day. We've also, I think honestly, well, I'll speak for myself at least. I didn't expect to be there that long. I really expected to just go, be fun, run my run, but then everybody else to come along past me and keep doing better. So the fact that I was still there was just overwhelming. And so, I I, I mean, as you saw from my very first episode, (laughs) I hit that point where it's a really good thing and I turn into the emotional crier that's just like, I can't hold emotion anymore and I start to lose it. So I just remember sitting back there and I mean, even when Jackie went out and it guaranteed me a spot, I remember just like, tears welling in my eyes where you're just like oh my god like i can't believe this is real and it just is wild to me so then we actually go on to the finale we've talked about this a little bit but Mm -hmm. you know we're set up i go first i miss the i miss the memory question matt the tiger and are you and heather together at that point or are you separated at that point we're separated so heather 
they brought me back to the same conference room and then Heather was just off the soundstage, but like kind of where the Gotham set was back, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of hanging outside. And so when we basically what happened was they had me in the room. And then when Heather went into play, they brought me to the Gotham set. And when I was at the set waiting to go onto our soundstage, they had earplugs. I had three people like security guards just watching me. Like I had to basically like sit there and just wait the whole time for Heather's run to finish. And then they brought me back in and it was just one of those, like, we were not allowed to talk to anyone. No one was allowed to talk to us. It almost felt like you were like Hester Pring with the Scarlet A, just like no one was allowed to say anything to you to make it as fair as possible. Like they wouldn't even, if they saw you coming down the hallway, they turned around and went the other way until you passed. Like it was that crazy. (laughs) So you get in, you're strapped in, you know what you need to do in order to win the $250,000. So I, so I get strapped in and then I had to wait for a bit. So I also, at this point, I have no idea how many I have to get right. So I'm waiting for them to bring me up to talk to Rob. Rob talks to me and is basically like, okay, you need to, um, you need to either get all four to guarantee you in, or you need to get three in like a minute or whatever the time was. And that instantly is just like, okay, no pressure at all. (laughs) But at the same time, part of me is like, I literally have a 50-50 shot at a quarter of a million dollars. And part of me is in my mind thinking like, I, there's no chance. Like Heather's a brilliant genius. Like she will 100% win. But then the other side of me is like, you got all 12 and she didn't. So there was no telling what was going to happen. And so you go, you get in and... The question ultimately that that ends the run is the question, the Tom Arnold question. This is how it's going to go down in history. So tell me what happens. It it pops up on the screen and what are you thinking? It pops up on the screen. And so I immediately look and I'm like, oh, shoot, I have no idea who that first guy is. So now it's turn to the other two. See if you can figure it out from the other two. So in my mind, I'm thinking it's six letters figure out the other two and then basically almost like using my wheel of fortune practice to figure out what those first two letters are and just come up with the answer. So I realize it's Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. And then I look to the third guy and I'm honestly not sure. I mean, you hear it in my voice. I'm like, I think it's Ozzy Osbourne, but then part of me is like, what word has T T O O like that doesn't make any sense to me. Like part of me kept second guessing that to say something is wrong. So I just kept trying to think like, what is a type of art? And I'm thinking like impressionist, um, like cutest, you know, exactly. I'm thinking that kind of art. I wasn't thinking tattoo at all. And the ironic thing is, so they play this like background music to kind of keep the audience hyped up while they're on technical breaks. So Frank, the guy who's doing all the music, is on the microphone and is joking with me, trying to keep me calm and entertained while I'm waiting for them to figure out the game plan for what to happen with whoever wins. So Frank is like, oh, I got a song that I bet you Ryan gets down to. And he plays Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. So he's trying to like be funny and jokey. The ironic thing, mm-hmm. I got a tattoo. Um like two years before that, 
and a guy named Meatloaf did my tattoo while he had Gangsta's Paradise on repeat. Oh my goodness. So I'm literally, and that was the very last thing that I heard before they're like, okay, okay, it's time to play. Rob comes out. So the last thing I heard before I went into that run was Gangsta's Paradise. And then the question I missed, the answer is tattoo. And that is the song that was playing when I got my tattoo. <laughs> Boy. And so that is just, what do they call it? Dramatic irony? So, oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> so that's it. You know Heather's won. What happens to you from there? They unstrap you. Where do, they, where do you go? So they unstrap me. And as they're unstrapping me, I'm, I see my parents in the audience. And my dad is looking at me. And he sees me like I have one of those mental moments. I figured it out the second they pulled me out of the pod. And so I just look at him and I mouth tattoo and he shakes his head like, yep, that's it. Uh, <laughs> so they, they bring me down from the lift. They bring me backstage to the, the, the holding room, basically. And they had me film my exit interview, basically. They didn't show anything right. of it. They just showed Heather winning. But just basically like, okay, like, how bummed are you? Like, and so I'm talking while well, I'm, they had to film Heather's stuff with Rob before they filmed my exit interview. So I'm kind of in that like on deck circle, just talking to all the producers that we mm -hmm. met. And they're all like, you did so great. Like we're, we wish you would have won. Like, I'm so sorry. And they're trying to like console me. And I'm like, I figured it out. I know it. Like, oh, and they're like, yeah, that was the answer. And it's like, oh no. <laughs> but at that point it was one of those, like, like I said, I did my best. I had no idea who he was. I tried to use as many of the context clues as I had, but there was just no way I was pulling it out in that moment. So at that point, you know what? I can't be upset about it. Yeah. And so you got to watch them film Heather getting congratulated by Rob. What Obviously, they always film more than they end up using. Any interesting nuggets that were there but didn't make it to air? I just remember them like asking. I think Heather had to be excited that she won like seven. Times. I think they were just like because <laughs> they weren't happy with I the reaction. Like, They're like, "You need to be more excited." <laughs> no, I don't even think it was that. I think it was just they needed like more angles mm. of it, or they wanted like a different look of it. So I felt I was like, okay, like at this point, the excitement is worn off. Now she's just irritated. Like I have to keep being excited that I won. But I definitely think even in that moment for me, like. I would have been just shocked and unable to give you anything yeah. at that point. But it was definitely, it was funny to see her have to like, you won again. <laughs> and Heather does not like strangers or having to put on emotive displays to begin with. So right. it's a bit of a struggle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine how that felt. Yeah. And I think that one of the great things, I and mean, look, we all wish we'd won. For sure. But one of the great things is that your parents are there. Yeah. And you have family there who've been through this journey with you uh, in that moment as well. So they, they were definitely coming the first day, but they've seen these shows before. Like they'll show glimpses of the family. Like wheel does at the very end. If you make it to the bonus puzzle, they had no idea they were going to be as involved or them asked them to do as much as they did during the filming of this. So they were excited just to be there. And then the fact that they kind of showed them, I love that they showed their reactions to things too, because that's what they do when they watch these shows. So they 100% were just 
reacting as they normally would. And it was kind of great for people to get to see them and see that side of it. Because I think one of my friends commented on my Facebook post the other day that they would love to see a show of them filming the families of the contestants. Because I can only imagine, like, we're definitely stressed out playing, but we have the adrenaline going. They have to just sit there and hope and wait and cross their fingers that we're going to get the question right. And it's almost even worse if they know the answer and we don't. They feel bad because they're like, I wish I could telepathically give it to you or just somehow give you a signal. But you can't cheat. You can't do any of that stuff. And there's no way for us to even communicate so I definitely feel like they have a little bit of a different stress than we do, but it was so fun to get to see them there. And they came expecting to really be there the first day. And we ended up having to call and change their flight because they were, they weren't going to be there for the finale. Originally, my dad is a high school math teacher and my mom is a junior high school principal. So we filmed this in the middle of a school week. So they were excited. They took a day off to come do the first day. And it was just kind of like, okay, we'll see how you do. And when I, at that point, we knew we maybe have to stay for another day for the finale, but we didn't really know what the schedule was going to be like. So we didn't book them another day. So they were calling to ask off for work. And it was kind of funny because it was just at that point, they're like, well, wait, did he win? And they're like, we can't tell you, but like, we have to stay another day. <laughs> well, I think that it was uh, ultimately a great thing that they got to stay another day and that you guys got a chance to go through that together yeah. because I just thought, so yeah, one awesome. of the things I thought was so sweet was, you know, when you guys all came back and your parents were with you and, and Heather and the producers, when we finally wow. got back to our sequestration room and it was just great that your parents were there. Yeah. Yeah, it was great having them. It, it was it was like a fun day for us because thankfully, so when I finished my first round, I finished playing, talked to the lawyers. It's like 1 a.m. And they're like, we're so sorry to do this to you, but Matt and I were the last two to finish. So we had to go film our interviews, like TV magic. We had to film our interviews for the finale that night. So even though it's acting like we've been home to practice and prepare, we filmed it that night. So it's like two o'clock in the morning before I get back to the hotel room. We have to report for the finale at noon. So I try to get a little bit of sleep, but I wake up in that morning and I'm just adrenaline is so high that you're just like ready to go. So my parents didn't really have enough clothes and they didn't expect to be on camera as much as they were. So they kind of brought like comfortable yet casual stuff. But then of course my mom was like, well, if we're going to be on TV again, like I kind of want to make sure I have a nice outfit. So we went to Marshall's the morning of the finale to buy them outfits for TV, <laughs> which was oh, that is fantastic. Which was a nice like stress relief for me. So I wasn't sitting in my hotel room like, okay, what do I need to study? Like, what should I be preparing for this day? We kind of just went. We had breakfast. We went to get them outfits. We brought me back to the studio before it was time to leave. And at least I went in feeling calm and collected it at least before we started finale filming. Well, that is fantastic. And yeah. again, they look great on TV. Thanks. I will definitely pass it along. They are, they're really great and really special. And you can tell that we all definitely come from the same cloth. <laughs> well, I certainly hope that sometime in the future that the Jones family goes out for family feud. You guys just have to bring me along hey. as a, a special adopted additional son. 100%. We will 100% welcome you as an honorary Jones. <laughs> 
So we've gone super duper long. I hope this hasn't been too much for you, but you're just so incredible. I I just couldn't get enough. Uh, But let's say the audience members are like me. They want to follow you. Where should they go to find you? How do they get more Ryan in their lives? Okay. So I think the easiest way to follow me and kind of see day-to-day Ryan, I'm pretty active on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is tryansaurusrex. It's T-R-Y-A-N. S-A-U-R-U-S-R-E-X, all one word. I've kind of always been obsessed with dinosaurs, so that's where that comes with. Um, I do a lot of stories of my different costumes and theme rides that we do, and I think that's probably the best place to find me. Um, Hopefully you'll see me again on your TV screen sometime soon, but if you're ever in Chicago and you want to come take a SoulCycle class, I would love to have you. Please, please say hello and introduce yourself. And I definitely recommend, even if you don't get to come to Chicago, check out a SoulCycle if there's one near you. It's such a great workout and such a great environment and definitely something that I think has changed the course of my life. So I definitely encourage you to try it, but I would love to have your first experience be with me if you're in Chicago. Yeah, heard it here first, folks. Definitely check out Ryan's class in Chicago. If I were a betting man, which I'm not because it's generally (laughs) negative expected value, but if I were, I would say that I'm pretty confident you will be on television again sometime in the future. America loves Ryan Jones. (laughs) Well, Sam and I have been talking about this. We are definitely down to do a a team appearance if they do ever do a remake of Supermarket Sweep or one of those shows. We would love to go on as a duo now. <laughs> well, you know, what I think you guys should do is to take advantage of the fact that you're both in Chicago yep. and start doing some webisodes, some live streaming, some various things. I mean, hey, you guys both idea. got a following. You should start building it up. I love the tag team. Yeah, it'd be really fun. It, it's so great that we – and it was a thing. Like when we met, he was in Chicago. I was still living in Boston. And then the second I got word that I was going to come to Chicago, it was like – hey, I'm going to be here. Let's hang out. And so it's been really kind of cool to develop that friendship that otherwise I don't think our paths would have ever crossed had it not been for Mental Samurai. Well, I guess you weren't planning to go into the trucking industry then. (laughs) Probably not. Definitely not my field, but Sam definitely has a hold on that one. Excellent. Well, Ryan, <laughs> thank you so much for taking time out of your day off. I've taken up almost an hour and a half. This is going to be the longest interview <laughs> yet. So you're setting a new record. I get to be pretty long-winded. So thank you for putting up with me talking and telling stories. And congratulations to you too. It was so great to spend some time with you doing the show. And I really appreciate your talking to me today. Likewise. And may we all be on television again together what? sometime what? soon. Oh, if I would love that. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. And that was my interview with my fellow Mental Samurai finale finalist, Ryan Jones. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Ryan, hearing more about his life story. I know I certainly did. And I do hope that Ryan takes my advice and gets together with Sam Durbin and does their own web show. I think that would be fantastic. I would definitely be a subscriber there. And I do hope that he takes seriously my suggestion of going on the family feud with me as an adopted son. So that was it for my interview with Ryan Jones. I've got plenty more great content coming up. Interviews with Grand Champion Heather Hurley. Interviews with Dr. Jackie, one of our fellow finale contestants. And much, much more. If you like this podcast, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Let's build that audience up. Let's get more people listening to these episodes. If you enjoy hearing from me, you can follow me, Chris Yeh, at Chris Yeh, C-H-R-I-S-Y-E-H, on Twitter and 
many other places around the internet. Mental Samurai is now in the books. Let's keep our fingers crossed that it gets its second season. But if not, certainly come back and check out all the other great interviews with Mental Samurai competitors along the way. And who knows, maybe someday I'll be able to get Rob Lowe to come on this show. With that, stick around and we've got plenty more great content coming your way.